0: Stop. stop stop. Let me do it. Let me do it. Vanakam and welcome back to Kuti Chalam's chat. This is your host Shweta Ashokraj, coming to you live from my wonderful hometown Chennai. I have a lot of things to be grateful for, and I want to begin each episode by expressing gratitude because I find that we often take for granted the very simple privileges that we hold. Discussing such heavy material, it is often easy to feel like you have no control over the power of these oppressive systems. That feeling can be really burdening, but what I've found to be really empowering, is to be able to instantly access the online intersectional educators, bloggers, podcasters, and content creators. All of these people who are of color, they share their knowledge and make me feel less alone in my beliefs. And so today, I'm really grateful for the way the internet has enabled me to liberate my thinking. Because without it, I may have been conditioned to be complicit to the patriarchal and punitive constructs that were being imparted onto me by my parents and society. So I know this is a bit of a tangent, but I've experienced the most autonomy on the internet. Like, I have the liberty to say whatever I want about sex and sexuality and all these taboo concepts that I would normally be super morally policed and shamed for are now things I can say with nobody holding me back. So anyways, I'll just end that there. And one more point before I begin is that I want to highlight a few trigger warnings. This episode will partly be touching upon gendered violence, sexual harassment, and rape. If these subjects are triggering for you, I do not recommend listening to this episode. However, I always link a transcript in the description where the triggers are clearly outlined in bold. And if you wish to still partake in some of the discussion, you may reference that document and read around the outline triggers. Alright, cool! So we have a little longer of an episode today, so let's get started! I'm gonna start the discussion on breasts by explaining this quite radical movement that started in 2012 in the United States, called Free the Nipple. The purpose of the movement is quite self-explanatory. People who identified as female should be able to expose their breasts in public and thus free their nipples. Realistically speaking, this for sure will not pass in Brahminical patriarchies in India. But what is very crucial to this discussion is the ideology and thinking behind the movement. It simply starts by desexualizing boobs and unpacking the double standard. We are asked to look at breasts for what it is, a biological organ. What I see this movement doing is raising a few very critical questions. Firstly why does society view boobs as sexual it's literally a lump of fat and why does this sexualization not uphold for those who identify as male how does the signifying trait of lactation and extra tissue equate to sex appeal and why is the public so concerned with modesty amongst those who identify as women but not amongst those who identify as men Questioning these constructs serve as a way to reject notions of public modesty, hypersexuality and censorship of the body, and in particular, the body of those who identify as female. During the first series of protests, a director by the name of Lena Esco began documenting this iconic movement where women were on the streets topless which then transformed into this cultural war for freedom, as Esco puts it, where we begin to see activism through art and street art in particular. So it was all in your face and just super unforgettable. It was really symbolic for how it called out a lot of industries for policing women's bodies. For example, something as humanly natural as breastfeeding was trivialized in many public spaces and workplaces. But I want to highlight that the discourse that these women were bringing up went further in saying that we should be able to free our nipples whenever we want, and not just under the condition of breastfeeding. Essentially, this movement gained a lot of traction among celebrities as well. A few of them, including Miley Cyrus, Rihanna, Willow Smith, and M. Rada, all took to social media in support of freeing our breasts regardless of gender and protesting the online social media policies of censorship over the exposure of women's breasts. And there was this underlying message that stressed consent. So even when I am topless, I am still not asking for it. Even when my nipples are exposed, I am not asking for it. And in India, this is a bold statement because there are still communities who believe that women do ask to be raped because of how they present themselves. In some cases, regardless of what women are wearing, people will believe that they deserved to be shamed for being raped. And this victim-blaming can often occur based on a marginalized identity that a woman holds. Which is why intersectionality, a term coined by Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw, is critical to understanding that gendered violence affects communities at various degrees and rates due to the ways in which these different identities are marginalized. So even going back to the Free the Nipple movement, my personal critique is that I'm not seeing enough fat bodies or dark-skinned bodies or queer bodies. And aside from the few black celebrities, it's important to note that these women protesting were mostly white. A lot of women of color experience policing on a deeper systemic level than white women. Black women in America face so much scrutiny and violence. They are often the people that are going the hardest in the recent protests that are occurring in the United States, but yet they are the least protected. Well, we as a society have really failed black women, and I'm not trying to discredit the Free the Nipple movement, but there is a role that intersectionality plays within feminism, which is what I'm trying to point out. There's this amazing saying, and forgive me because I'm blinking on who said it, but it goes, nobody is free until the poor trans black woman is free this quote beautifully encapsulates the importance of intersectionality in feminism and activism at large because the identity of being poor black trans or a woman all individually hold different degrees of disproportionate violence and marginalization from both society and the state due to the patriarchal white supremacist capitalistic conditions in the U.S. and many Western countries alike. But a poor black trans woman is facing various levels of oppression because their identities are not mutually exclusive. And Dr. Crenshaw explains through intersectionality how the intermingling of such identities play a huge role in systemic privileges and power imbalances. So when we center the liberation of the individual that is most marginalized, we subsequently free ourselves in that process. And so in India, this could look like centering the Dalit trans women's liberation. They are the voices that are constantly being encroached upon, but yet remain the most critical voices in order to holistically understand what true and complete liberation looks like that's why someone like grace banu is super important to follow and i'll definitely link some works as well if you're interested in reading more because i don't believe that the caste discourse is something that i am well versed enough to speak on i'm still kind of learning and i'm new to it so i want to point you to some credible sources rather than taking up that space myself But anyway, I think it was necessary for me to still critique the Free the Nipple movement. And again, it's not to say that the movement was illegitimate, but looking at social movements from an intersectional lens is really, really important. Intersectionality mattered a lot to me as a dark-skinned Tamil woman because I only truly felt empowered to take the step towards not wearing a bra because I was able to see other dark-skinned women on social media and around me sexually expressing themselves by rejecting notions of modesty. And honestly, I owe a lot to Black women for the role they played in breaking down colonial constructs of beauty because I would be so insecure about showing my thighs due to discoloration, which is actually really normal for dark-skinned girls, but it's often shamed due to the centering of whiteness. Black women had uplifted me in ways that my own community had not. To be honest, for the longest time, I felt shunned by the Thummer community because of how I dressed. When I was in high school, I faced a lot of shame from older aunties just as much as I did from men and sometimes even more. They would often project these patriarchal notions of femininity that women need to be prim and proper and submissive these ideals were also inextricably tied to family reputation and honor. So if I were to dress in a sultry way that actually made me feel comfortable in my body, my comfort would just be overlooked. Instead, they immediately resorted to slut-shaming and body-policing me because they have deeply ingrained conservative views on decency, which then become a measure of not only my self-respect, but the respect of my family name. Although I will say the millennials in the Tamil diaspora make me really hopeful because I've been able to connect with a lot of people on Twitter and that space was the first time I felt like I belonged to the Thummer community. It wasn't until I got to college that I was finally able to separate myself from this notion of modesty. College was when I first encountered removing the bra, and it was a political act that I made against colonial feminism. In Indian culture, the bra is a concept of adornment that had existed since the Vedic period. If you look at many deities in Hinduism or even statues of female warriors, they're wearing breastplates made of metal. It was also common in gramams for women to wear saris with no blouses, Colonial feminism and the Brahminical patriarchy really worked hand in hand during colonial India trying to sexually control women, especially dark-skinned lower caste women. And you know, it's not to say that colonialism is the sole reason for a subjugation of women because even prior to British invasion of India, the caste system was highly prevalent. Colonial feminism definitely did supplement the continuation and institutionalization of Brahminical patriarchy in trying to subordinate women. The breasts were something that they became pretty obsessed with controlling, potentially because sexualizing it serves as grounds for repression since the colonizers were keen on framing dark skin and lower caste women as backward savages and whores with no impulse control that just needed to be civilized. And the people who would save us were, of course, Brahmins and British people. Then, of course, America also had to go and commodify the breasts as something that you invest in because buying a good quality bra today is legit an investment. I cannot believe we let companies get away with selling bras for like $30. And my frustration with this system is what eventually led me to ask myself, why do I even need to wear a bra in the first place and spend this much money? I ultimately realized I wasn't really wearing a bra for myself, but I was wearing it to comply within the social standards of society. And that actually bothered me a lot. By simply being a woman, I'm still gonna get a lot of this unwanted attention, regardless of whether or not I'm wearing a bra. People who call me cunt, slut, whore for dressing the way I do or expressing my sexuality the way I do are never ever filtering themselves, so why should I? Don't get me wrong, sometimes I like to treat myself to cute bras and lingerie because it makes me feel super sexy and confident but I'm not doing it to please anyone else. On a day-to-day basis, I find the bra restrictive and frankly unnecessary unless I'm doing sports or being active. Removing the bra provided me agency, but for some folks, agency may not look like removing the bra and that's totally valid too, because who am I to control and comment on your bodily autonomy? That entirely defeats the purpose of autonomy. What's important is that we as fems are making autonomous choices tailored to our own comfort, however we may define that comfort. And the same goes for shaving. You don't have to reject shaving in order to be sexually liberated. But I am asking you to consider whether you are doing it to satisfy the expectations of society. Being able to define my own sexuality provided me with control over my own body while also removing this constant fear that I had of failing society. How I see myself is no longer dictated by someone that isn't me, which makes it so much easier for me to navigate my own space and consequently my sexual liberation journey. Okay, so I think this is a very powerful last note to end on. And before I let you go, I just want to say thank you for bearing with me through this conversation because it has been something I wanted to get off my chest for so long. Anyways, y'all, that's all for today. I will see you next week on Kuti Chalam's chat, Nandri and Vanakam.